This is former New York Jets defensive lineman Mike DeVito, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet. From Joe Namath's Super Bowl guarantee. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee it. To Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between. They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark Ingram. And it is juggled and caught by Jumbo Elliott. This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best. The New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. And worse. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. Moments in New York Jets history. So get ready to hop in your DeLorean and take a trip back in time. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? For an in-depth look at the most memorable games, seasons, players, and events in the history of gangrene, it's time to play like a jet. Play like a jet. What does that mean? With your hosts, Scott Mason and Big John Sparapolis. Welcome to Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at the biggest moments in New York Jets history. My name is Scott Mason, alongside my tag team partner, six foot two, 265 pounds, and he is going to invade the main event at WrestleMania and take the WWE Championship. He doesn't need a money in the bank. That's how big and bad he is, Mr. Big John Sparopoulos. What's going on, John? Scotty, the best intro in the business. Appreciate it. Scotty, um, doing okay. Uh, not, not a big fan of the month of February, but we are inching our way closer to the uh, NFL Draft Combine and free agency. Yeah, they always say February is the worst month of the year if you're a sports fan and if you live in a cold weather climate because not only is it generally pretty freezing, but there's very little going on sports-wise. Even the NBA comes to a slowdown because you have the All-Star break and all of that. So it's the worst time of the year, especially if you're a sports fan. March Madness is around the corner, though. We've got free agency in the draft coming up baseball spring training is on the way so a lot on the horizon and all we have to do is make it through another few weeks i think we can do it right john scotty i'm gonna try my best to inch forward into march hey we forgot another thing that comes up around then that's wrestlemania of course so this year it's at metlife stadium in new jersey you coming home for that big guy scotty don't think i can uh, squeeze that into my schedule i'll be watching it on the uh, network at my house for only, you guessed it, $9.99. That'll be a fun show, WrestleMania, here in Jersey. I don't live super far away, so I'm considering heading over there, even though I did go to WrestleMania a couple of years ago when they were in town when it was The Rock versus Cena, the rematch, and it was really cold, so you got to be wary of that when you do an outdoor event in April in New York. You never know what the weather is going to be like, and so I'm still kind of on the fence about it, especially considering the cost. But, John, you want to talk about something that's expensive? We could talk about Antonio Brown's contract at the moment, although it looks like he's about to get traded. Mr. Big Chest, what, is he stealing your gimmick? Scotty, he must have heard me say at the gym that I never miss uh, chest day. It's true. I know firsthand because I've been to the gym with you on chest day, and I've seen it up close. Don't mess with John on chest day. There's a reason why he's big John and not medium-sized John. That's right, Scotty, and I also uh, never miss a meal. 
So you're kind of a cross between Antonio Brown and Ryback, I guess. Um, that's a great analogy. I think I think we need to make that a T-shirt. Mm, I like it. We should make that a T-shirt along with the Play Like a Jet shirt that you could get right now at theloyalist.com slash turn on the Jets. And we may have to work on a line of Legends Series T-shirts, including our friend, Mr. Wesley Walker, number 85. He's been our guest the last three weeks to talk about his life and career as a New York Jet, 13 years in gangrene. And boy, did he have some explosive revelations last week about racial tensions in the locker room. It was really sad to hear, but I'm glad that he was willing to open up to us and tell us about it. I can't even imagine what he's probably got in store for us this week. I can't see how he's going to top last week. What do you think, John? You ready to go find out by talking to Wesley Walker for part four of this series? Jeez, uh, Scotty, I'd love to, but it's it's funny that you mentioned March Madness. Uh, I have a little project I'm working on. Oh, yeah? What's that? Well, Scotty, don't know if you saw this week uh, the big college basketball game, uh, North Carolina and Duke top prospect Zion yeah, busted through his Nike shoes. So, um, yeah, Scotty, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. Was the shoe tampered with? Was it a bad prototype? So uh, Nike sending me out uh, 20 pairs of shoes to test myself. John, why are they going to you for that? Do you have some sort of experience testing shoes? Well, Scotty, they know I'm a tremendous athlete that uh, – Scored two points on my varsity basketball team. I uh, was a blocking tight end, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they wanted somebody uh, with my ranking to uh, test these shoes. You're like Skip Bayless, minus the crazy opinions and the multi-million-dollar contract. Uh, especially without the money, yes, Scotty, that's correct. <laughs> All right, John, you go do what you're going to do for Nike. I hope that you can help fix this situation so that no other college basketball player has to go through what Zion Williamson just did ever again. I'll go talk to Wesley Walker. You test the shoes, and we'll meet back here. How's that? Scotty, uh, sounds like a plan. Talk to you soon. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
Wesley, after the first three weeks of the 1981 season, the team really started to kick things in a high gear. And you had two excellent games, both against the Dolphins and the Oilers. You had two touchdowns in each of those two games. And in those games is when the sack exchange really started to take hold. Now, 81 was a year where Abdul Salam, Joe Klecko, Mark Gastineau, and Marty Lyons all were huge. But it was Klecko and Gastineau who really were on fire that year. And in fact, this is before sacks were an official stat. But those two guys combined for something like 45 sacks. And every week, it almost became like a competition to see which guy was going to have more sacks. They'd have three sacks apiece. They'd be killing quarterbacks every single week. What was it like for you to watch this special unit on defense? And you have these two guys in Klecko and Gastineau that are among two of the most dominant defensive players that there's ever been in the league. In their prime, and they're just every week making quarterbacks basically cry to their mama. So, what was it oh, like yeah. watching this happen? Well, there's nobody better than um, than uh, and as if you look at it from an all around sense than Joe Glecko. And and I always say he's my MVP. I mean, he played multiple positions, but he was strong. He had this whole cock thing he would do, and he could dictate. It, it would it would be if I had to relate it to what I would do to people, he could line up and he's dictating what he wanted to do to you and you didn't even know how to block him. Uh, Mark Gaffney certainly was, God, big, strong, fast, and he's another dimension. And But I know there was, on that whole sack of change, there was a problem, uh, egos and jealousy. And, and, and now that I look back on things and I see personalities and I can see how Mark can be and how... He can uh, be disruptive where you have a problem with him. Uh, but vice versa, some of those guys, uh, they had their egos also. And uh, when you look at Joe Glecko and, and Marty Lyons, you know, those guys had their own thing and the control over people. And when you didn't gravitate and to do what they wanted you to do, then there was a riff on the team. So Gassino was just doing his own thing, and that didn't set well with those guys. But as a unit, when you took uh, Marty and uh, Abdul, certainly, and uh, I hope Abdul gets in the ring of honor. And, and Abdul also had a stroke, and I feel for him. He hasn't been in town, and they get together as a sack of chains, and they do these autograph appearances. But a lot of people don't give Abdul credit, who was tying up. A lot of those guys that make it easier for Gassino and Gessel to do their thing, but certainly Mark and uh, uh, Joe were two of the best guys I ever seen defensive-wise, and they all brought something to the table. I mean, there's nobody that can match uh, uh, Mark Gassino's size and speed. I mean, that guy ran a 4.6 and being 280 and, and strong, and, and there was nobody stronger than uh, Joe Glecko because this guy could – he, he, there's no no way anybody could take him one on one, and you talked to probably the best offensive line. I think Andy Munoz would tell you that. But it was just great to watch all of them do their thing. But certainly, Mark Gasano and uh, Joe Glecko, uh, especially Joe Glecko, they were in a class by themselves. Uh, I mentioned the fact that Mark Gastineau and Joe Klecko made guys cry to their mama. I was being literal because there was an offensive lineman on the Colts later on in that season that got dominated so badly by Gastineau that he actually did cry. But before we get to that point, we had a whole bunch of wins in a row for the Jets. They became the hottest team in the league after that 0-3 start. And 
Richard Todd had played terribly in 1980, but he really heated up in 1981 and played a lot better. And we're going to get to his signature moment in just a second. But before we do, you talked about how even Anthony Munoz would say that nobody could block Joe Klecko, and Joe Klecko was as dominant a player as you've ever seen. There is a huge debate right now, and a lot of Jet fans are really pushing for it about Joe Klecko in the Hall of Fame. I've maintained as somebody who's, I guess, a bit of a Jets historian from doing this show, that Joe Klecko 100% belongs in the Hall of Fame. You played with him for pretty much your entire career. What are your thoughts? Joe Klecko, Hall of Famer, yes or no? Absolutely. Uh, you, know, the, 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 you know, we had so many, so many talented athletes, and it is a shame uh, that uh, whether it's not going to a Super Bowl not getting or not winning, which also puts you over the top being playoffs multiple times, and we certainly had our share of being in the playoffs. But, you know, it's hard to determine who should be in the Hall of Fame. I always want to know how they make that determination, who makes these decisions or whatever. Uh, but if you look at a guy like Joe Glecko, and certainly certain players on our team that what they actually brought to the table and what their abilities are to really look into it, there's no question that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know the criteria or what it really takes, uh, but people who are making these decisions, they don't even know uh, And if you go by team. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys on every team that you can pick out and you look at what they really brought to the table and how they affected their team or what they really did. And I always used to say, uh, if you want to know who the best is of the best, then you line them up together and you go against and you'll find out there. And that's what supposedly the Pro Bowl is all about. But I know for a fact that a lot of guys would get in the Pro Bowl out of politics. They wouldn't vote for certain players. Bruce Harper led the league one year, and they gave it to Rick Upchurch only because they'd been there multiple times or whatever. But if you went by that, Bruce Harper should have been in there because he led the league, you know, and that's what happens. Uh, but not a, not a lot of people know exactly what really goes into it. And then I guess they'll look at the personality, look at your history maybe, where you had a little storied hit, uh, history that didn't do so well uh, and, and guys get in trouble or whatever it is. But as far as... Uh, 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 Joe Glecko goes, I don't know what the real reasoning, I look at Harry Carson, who should have been in there a long time ago, it took him that long, but I don't know who has the um, the say-so, or why it takes as long as it does, or what the criteria is, I wish I knew what it was, but the only thing we can do is, as a, as a team and as fans is to try to uh, call it out, and hopefully it'll get there, you know. If you, I'm sure if you spoke to Joe, you know, he would love that to happen, but he's not going to say, you know, it, it, it won't matter one way or another. You know, he's an athlete. He knows what he brought to the table. He knows he's just as good as anybody that's ever been put in there. And there's nobody, there's nobody, like, I don't care who the receiver is. I'm not going to think I'm not just as good as anybody else or do I really belong there, you know. I know a lot, a lot of guys that, that are in there that, they couldn't even uh, wear my job strap, but it, that's just the way it is, you know. But I, I won't say that, but that's just the way it is, you know. I mean, I played against uh, James Lawson, used to just burn him up in track and stuff, and there was a lot of jealousy, and I remember being in our first Pro Bowl, and he was, you know, NFC, and I'm in the AFC, and 
with Tony Hill, and I thought they were really rude and not real friendly. It was, there was a lot of jealousy when it comes to that. But he stayed relatively healthy and, and with good teams and putting up the numbers and was able to do that. But that's what happens. The guys are on winning teams. They have all the accolades. But you cannot tell me Joe, uh, Joe Zecco does not belong in the Hall of Fame, you know. But it's only a title. That's the way I look at things, you know. Just as good as anybody in there. And the amazing thing about it, as your former teammate Jojo Townsell pointed out when he joined me to talk 1986, was Joe Klecko did all of this, and he was pretty much never healthy. The guy was battling injuries his entire career, right? Absolutely. You don't. But the sad part of it, you just don't know who's battling injuries, and they have to keep. And now it's even worse, where the coaches keep everything here. They're not allowed to to say what's going on. And when and when you start to dip or certain things are not happening the way it's supposed to be happening, you keep a lot of that uh, covered up, and you have to, and you can't disclose these things. And and you no know, athlete's going to tell you, well, I've been hurt with this, that, and other thing. And it's, and it's sad, you know. But that's just part of the game, also. But there's that can affect you, you know. And uh, and and he was a stud, you know. And and what I don't like too, though, uh, I, I remember. There was a lot of jealousy with a lot of players, and I remember Marty saying something about Mark Gassineau, and, you know, there was rumors of, uh, like, steroids. But, you know, back then, everybody was doing steroids back then to be able to compete. So I don't know if that had the issue to deal with it. But, you know, there was a lot of things that were going on that behind the scenes you just didn't know, you know. And uh, a lot of things were going on. I used to hate when players try to single out another player, and I'm like, you're the biggest steroid user on our team, and you're jamming somebody else up, you know what I mean? But they had to do it in order to compete, and that was a whole other issue in itself, you know? Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint, unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week, with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Since you just brought up the fact that all these guys are doing steroids, I don't want you to point the finger at teammates because I don't want you to be that guy or anything like that, but did you ever use steroids? No, we I had a uh, we had a rub, and I'll tell you the truth on it. We had a guy, and I, I remember uh, the steroid use with a guy in high school. I remember he was supposedly taking them, but I I remember our um, we had this guy Jim Williams was our our strength and conditioning coach. He gave me a, a book on the benefits of steroid use, <laughs> and I know they have this HGH hormone growth, or and and some doctors use it as a as an aid for you. And you know, unfortunately, it's not like legal. But I had one of my teammates who had a guy, and I'll never forget this. And and I remember Marvin Powell and I said, maybe when we get in our high 30s or 30s, we'll, we'll check it out or something. But I'll never forget. And, and, and some of my teammates tried to get me to use this stuff. And I remember they had this guy. And I remember I talked to the guy, and he said, yeah, you, and I'll, I'll never forget. This. He said, you take this oral antivar. And then you do this, I forgot the other uh, the drug, but you inject it. I'm like, what do you mean you injected? You give me a shot and not like a butt. I'm like, that was enough for me. I don't like needles, man. And I'm like, that was enough for me. And then I'll never forget, um, the guy got busted for I don't know how many counts of illegal distribution of drugs. But I remember one of my friends on the team, he was a big one there. They were always telling me how, how you know, 
you know, for sex and all this other stuff, but he ended up breaking his neck, you know. And uh, so a, a lot of guys, there was a lot of different side effects, and I think a lot of guys who um, were getting, like, uh, these injuries, it could be a hamstring, and, and some of them are, are, are guys that were being affected by I, with the injuries, I think that might have been a lot of part of it, you know. But back then, I didn't know enough about it, but I was just scared to uh, get myself a shot in, 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 you know, with a needle. <laughs> and that was enough for me, and that's all it wrote for me, and I meant, I'm not doing that. Well, one guy who got a lot of shots with needles, I would imagine, as far as painkillers go, was Richard Todd, because going into your Week 12 matchup against the Miami Dolphins, he had fractured ribs. He was in so much pain that he couldn't even call out signals during practice. There was question whether or not he was going to play. At this point, and I wanted to circle back on this and ask you about it in a second, too, Todd had been so maligned by both the fans and the media, and it wasn't helped the fact that he basically assaulted a reporter's Steve Serby earlier in this season but in this game Todd who didn't practice is able to go despite the fact that he's in so much pain he can't really get a whole lot going early on and Joe Fields the center even stepped on his foot and broke it so now he's got fractured ribs and a broken foot and he's hobbling all over the place but he's able to hang in there and the defense keeps things close and the Dolphins are winning 15-9 with 3-10 to go and then all of a sudden Richard Todd goes to work he drives you guys all the way down the field. And then with under 20 seconds to go, Todd hadn't been able to turn to his left this whole game because of how much pain there was in his ribs. But he finds the strength somehow just for a nanosecond to turn left and fake guys out, turns back to his right, fires a bullet in between two defenders to Jerome Barkham for the touchdown. And you guys end up winning this one 16-15. Todd is clearly in tremendous pain. The crowd at Shea Stadium is going absolutely bananas. And in fact, as this drive was unfolding, the crowd was getting louder and louder and louder and louder and louder to the point where you couldn't hear yourself think at the time. And you guys win at 16-15 to put you guys in the first place over the Dolphins. Gastineau is going crazy. He's running all over the field. It looks like his celebration lasted a good 10 to 15 minutes. Everyone's hugging each other, celebrating in the crowd. The players are going crazy. And Richard Todd is hobbling off of the field and as he gets to the tunnel the entire crowd gives him a standing ovation and chants his name and he breaks down crying because he was a guy that had taken a lot of abuse really from the fans and from the media and here he was sucking up all these injuries being the toughest guy in the field and finding a way to get this done and I've always felt and I wanted to know what you think because obviously I'm a fan but you were there I've always felt like this was the game where Richard Todd became the guy, the quarterback of the Jets, that he was finally accepted. I know, unfortunately for you, there was actually a bad thing here because you got hurt and you would miss a little bit of time. But to me, that was an incredible game and an incredible moment. Do you have any memories of it? Well, I, 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 with me and, and, and as a player, I, I, I think, you know, you appreciate what's going on at the time and you understand you know, the plight of what's going on. And fans can be fickle, and you, they don't know what has gone into that week and maybe what you've gone through. And like I said, with the ribs and having to get shot up and the things you, you go through, you know, uh, they don't know those particular things. Are going, and that how much that can affect your play. They're looking just on the outcome or you didn't do very well. And if they had an idea what a player has to go through 
and to get to that point and to try to be able to produce, whether it's producing win or lose, maybe they would have a, a different appreciation of what this guy has to go through, you know, and maybe they wouldn't be so critical of it, but the players know, you know, and in certain situations, we don't even know what a guy has to go through and what they're doing uh, because they don't disclose the injuries. They want to keep it quiet. And obviously you don't want somebody going after an injury that they know you have that's going to hit you in that area that's going to make it worth to put you out that may affect the outcome of the game. But you have to give the credit when it's due, and, but it should be due all the time. And I appreciate it. I know it as a player. You know what a players have to go through to get it done. It's very disheartening being hurt yourself where you can't contribute to help a person on the team that's even hurt. But I've always had respect for Richard Todd. And even to this day, sometimes I feel bad because I always make a big deal out of uh, Kenny O'Brien, but I always felt like Kenny O'Brien got a, a raw deal, and I hate seeing that. And sometimes I have to apologize to Richard Todd that I always give him the credit. But I, I love playing with Richard Todd. I always had a great deal of respect for him. I always thought he tried to be maybe somebody else and not himself. He's had had fill-in for Joe Namath. But Richard Todd was a stud, and he he had the size. He was good. He had this personality. I always liked that he had that accent. But just, you know, he was going to be there regardless if he could, you know, and he was going to perform. Uh, whether he did well or he did not, he did uh, probably more good than bad. And that game certainly was one of the turning points, I think, as far as respect from the fans that he got. But it's always like that when you win. And that stadium was really rocking. And I remember only catching uh, one pass during that um, last drive before Jerome Barkham to get a first down just to keep the drive going. And obviously you want to be the focal point of it. But, again, as a team, that's what it's really all about, working together and if you look at those sequence of plays, that actually what's taking place. But you definitely have to give the kudos to Richard Todd, not only coming back to make that play, but to endure what he had to go through to get to that point and what he had to struggle with just to get to the point and to do what he did. And that's got to be a great credit and a good feeling. And then to get that feeling from the crowd after that. But you want that regardless, win or lose from the crowd. Because you want to understand and you know what this player went through, but nobody knows that. And I remember, and I'll relate it this way, I remember we were down on uh, Joe Walton, and I just and I was hurt. I remember, I, I think I retired maybe seeing this documentary, and I, they were saying, Joe must go, and the people were throwing things and spitting, and the fans could spit on me, and they could be cruel. When I was a rookie, I'm walking into that dugout, because you're right underneath where you're going for the baseball dugout, because we shared it with the method. Fans are yelling and screaming and spitting. They could be very cruel. And I remember uh, them saying all these vile things to uh, uh, Joe Walton, and I remember his wife being in the stand. They did this documentary, and she said, Joe, that's okay, Joe. And I literally cried when I saw this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, nobody should be able to endure this stuff. That is not even right. And I remember Richard Todd and how cruel the fan could be. But I can also remember when there would be signs, Todd is God. And it's very <laughs> fickle. But that's the, the, that's the world we live in. That's the game we play. They love you when you're up on top, and they love to kick you when you're down. 
The real fans are going to be there through thick and thin, and they're going to respect that. But what people don't really realize what a person is enduring, what they're going through at that time. I mean, I remember one game where I had to get my knee drained. I'm getting shot with cortisone. I'm taking a Viking in or whatever. They don't know all the things you're going through the night before or the, or the, the, the day of the game. And maybe they would have a different appreciation, know that you're even trying to make it through that struggle. Now, if Richard would have lost that game, nothing maybe would have been said, and it had been the bump, you know. But fortunately, on that outcome, he was the hero, but yet they still don't know what it took for him to make it through that game. And that's where you have a respect for those players that do this weekend and weekend. And Joe Glucko was another example of that with injuries, Marty Lyons, they would get shot up. A lot of things you just don't know that goes on behind the thing. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to Subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Do you have any memories, speaking of behind the scenes, of being there when Richard Todd lost his cool around Steve Serby and put his hands on him? You know, Steve Serby is a good friend of mine, and I would see him, and I used to get mad with him because I'll never forget, he wrote this derogatory article about uh, Dwight Gooden being at the strip clubs. And he would be in the strip clubs. I, I, I was with him one time. And I'm like, how can you write this? That's a, like a double standard. But I was in that locker room, and we just, I just, I don't know what I was doing. And, you know, he's getting interviewed. The next thing we know, we hear this noise, and, and Steve Sir is, is knocked out. But like, he, he wasn't really knocked out, but he was just, he hit him, and, and he was just in the locker room, you know. He obviously hit him and stuff, and it was kind of funny, but it wasn't funny. He shouldn't have done that. But, that's another thing. You cannot lose your cool. And as, as good as I've had it in New York, every reporter has wrote, every reporter that I know, and I know a lot of them, including Steve Serbert, has wrote good articles and has wrote bad. And I remember even being on the on, on Channel 2, I forgot who the, uh, the uh, I can't think of his name right now, uh, but saying a bad thing, I dropped the ball or something and, 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 and said something derogatory. But when you're good, you're like the hero. But I've been on the uh, good end and the bad end. But you cannot lose your cool. And obviously, Richard lost his cool that day. But some of these reporters, they can push you to the end. But I would never, just like a, a wife or a girlfriend trying to say something to get you mad, I would never give any reporter or anyone the time that they, they made me angry or I'm getting pissed, you know, and not that I could hate you, but you will never know it, you know, and, and, and Richard obviously lost his cool that day, but I'm sure if you talk to Richard and uh, Steve Servant, they would be cool with it. It's just something that happened. Something else that happened, unfortunately, was you got hurt again after that Miami game. You missed a couple of games, but the team ended up going to the playoffs that year. You lost a bit of a heartbreaker to the Buffalo Bills, but 
this was the first year that you guys had a winning record and that you had a chance to play in the playoffs. And after having an injury-riddled year in 79 and in 80, you missed a couple games here, but you were mostly healthy and you bounced back to have nine touchdown grabs. So how happy were you to mostly stay healthy and have a productive season? And even more so, how great did it feel to finally break out of things, have a winning record, and be able to go to the playoffs? Well, that that's always nice, but I'm I'm always a uh, I wouldn't say perfectionist, but you you look for more, and obviously you don't like being hurt, and and once you get to the playoffs, you want to be productive in the playoffs, and that was just a heartbreaking time for all of us because what what happens when you reach the playoffs? Hey, anything can happen, but once you lose, it's over, and you're going home, and that's not a good feeling. You always want to. You know, be in the big dance, you want to go to the playoffs and you want to have success once you get there. But that was always a heartbreaking thing. And with me, uh, I, I never liked being injured. And uh, and I always looked at those kind of years as just being mediocre. You're just there. Anybody can do that and just be there. And that's what I always said. And that was always just frustrating because I always wanted to be a focal point and, and in any game that we had. And I hate to say this, too. It's almost being selfish. Uh, like, you know, if we won and I was really successful tonight and I had something, I was a focal point, I'm happy. Uh, and if we lost, you know, I'm freaking really unhappy. But if we could win and I wasn't a focal point, I'm frustrated still because I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be a part of it. It's just a competition in me. Uh, but if, when I, when I lost and I, and, 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 and I, and I didn't do anything, I was even more distraught. But when we won, uh, certainly, uh, it, it's fun, but I would be frustrated if I didn't have something to do with that win. And that's kind of on the selfish side, but I just wanted to be uh, almost, you can't be perfect, but you, you just wanted to be a big focal point of every game you played in. And unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that, and it can be very frustrating. And it was very frustrating for me because I was in a system where, um you know, I didn't have control over certain things where I, my abilities weren't used the way I, I thought I could be used. Well, your abilities would be used to the max the following year in 1982, but it was kind of a weird year. In week two against the Patriots, Joe Klecko gets hurt and he ends up being lost for the season. You end up hurting yourself. You hurt your back, so you're injured. And then the strike happens. So you're coming off 1981 where you went to the playoffs and optimism was up through the roof going into 82. Now there's injuries and the strike happens. So before we get to what was going on during the strike, do you feel like in retrospect, looking back now, in a way it was kind of a blessing for you guys because you were worn down, some of you were hurt? Yep. I kind of look at that, but I didn't have the idea that we were going to have the success we had uh, because back then, too, there was a... When you're going on strike, everybody doesn't believe in it. There could be a split on the team, and that was another uh, problem that I thought we had, and just being represented properly, getting the right information. And it just adds another dimension to a season where you want to play football, but you have other things that you have to worry about. And I was very fortunate uh, in my latter part of my years that you get the information, become a union rep to try to help our team. So that's even another avenue, and, and it takes away from what you need to do. But in that situation, we were able to overcome a lot of different things, but it was just certainly a different season. But maybe it was a blessing in the sky that came about just to get us some health. 
the season would be shortened to nine games because of the strike, and we'll get back to that in a second. But first, I wanted to ask you what it was like during the strike. You said you were a union rep. I believe you and Marvin Powell were. But also, you got married during the strike, and there was some weird things going on because you had to be on call in case something would happen, but you had your wedding going on, and Marvin Powell kind of had to be the go-between, I guess. So take me through that. What was it like to get married during the strike, and what was the whole experience well, it, like? Well, the, I, it was actually... It was good because of the fact that everybody was here, and I actually <laughs> just got married in my own in the backyard. And I I don't know what it would have happened if it would have rained because I didn't make any plans. But it ended up being really wonderful, and it was a way for all of us to, to kind of get together, and it ended up working out. And I just remember being down on the Hempstead Turnpike with signs with uh, I forgot fifty percent of the gross and unfair practices and just doing what we had to do. And I remember even um, the union when, because uh, I was so, I never had a honeymoon and I had to go to Washington. We were putting together a strike game together, and which I didn't even play in, but I was, you know, because I was a union rep there. Uh, and I remember the union got me like a honeymoon suite there in Washington, but that wasn't really what I would call a honeymoon. <laughs> but the bottom line of it, I would have never expected us to have the year that we had and have the success, and uh, especially um, two of the games against the Raiders. I think it was Cincinnati that the games that we had to have the success that we had because in a strike year, when you you some guys weren't there, you know everybody could be you know in different parts of the country. You don't know how you're going to gel together. And we were having these little organized workouts amongst ourselves and everything else. But things just kind of came together. And like I said, it might have been a blessing in disguise for us to get some of us healthy back then. But uh, how we got that really done, I, that is still a blur to me. And I, I, I was still surprised and shocked. And I remember when we made it to the playoffs and the games that we played, we were just in, in shock how everything worked out. But again, you look at what things could have been, and uh, and you just don't know when you're going to get there. The opportunities you have, and you have to take advantage of it. And unfortunately, um, when we really needed to do it, we didn't do it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> There's part four of our in-depth discussion on the life and career of number 85, Wesley Walker. Some more incredible stuff there. Memories of that fantastic moment at Shea Stadium when the Jets defeated the Miami Dolphins when Richard Todd grid through those injuries. Wesley's first-hand account of the confrontation between Richard Todd and Steve Serby in the locker room. He talked frankly about the fact that he didn't take steroids, not necessarily because he didn't want to cheat, but because he was afraid of needles, which I thought was really fascinating. That's one thing that you don't really hear from athletes. They might say, oh, I didn't want to cheat, or I was afraid to get caught. <laughs> no, Wesley just didn't want to deal with needles. Plus, you also heard him talk about the birth of the sack exchange and the fact that he believes his teammate Joe Klecko should go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So just fantastic stuff that Wesley continues to share on a weekly basis, and we will continue this series next week, and there's plenty more where that came from. Trust me. As we bring Big John back in, he was testing some shoes that Nike sent him to make sure that they fixed what was wrong so another athlete doesn't get hurt like Zion Williamson. They sent a bunch of pairs to John for him to try and figure out what was going on. So he had a deadline to meet to finish wearing those shoes and send the report in. 
John, what did you find wearing these shoes? Scotty, I thought the shoes were quite excellent. I uh, ran some errands in them. I uh, did some laundry, uh, walked to my local uh, pizza place to only bring home the pizza to cook it myself. I uh, sat on the couch and watched uh, some TV. So I think the shoes are top-notch. John, that all sounds good, and I'm really glad you didn't get hurt or anything. But I failed to see exactly how that's a sufficient test because guys like Zion Williamson are going to be doing high-impact athletic events and training. How exactly does walking for pizza or sitting on the couch do anything for you as far as figuring out if these sneakers are going to be able to withstand the type of punishment that they're going to get from players like Zion Williamson using them in situations like that? I mean, Scotty, um, the pizza place is a two-mile walk-round trip. Sure, but walking to the pizza place is not the same as running up and down a court and smashing your body into other giant players. Is there something I'm missing here? Scotty, I think I failed them again. <laughs> but it's no backsies on the sneakers, right? I think I'll edit my report that I played basketball in them. They'll never know I was just playing a video game on my couch. <laughs> 20 free pairs of Nikes. John, you're going to send me a couple pairs, right? Scotty, if, they, uh, if we're the same size, you got it. <laughs> Pretty sure we're not. That's why they call you Big John, because you're not the same size as really anybody. So enjoy those shoes, John. I'm sure that you won't have to buy any sneakers for a couple of years now. So you can save that money and use it on some of the great shirts that we have available at our store, theloyalist.com slash turn on the jets. Of course, that includes the play like a jet shirt, as I was mentioning before. A ton of others, too, you might want to represent as the Jets get ready for the biggest part of the year for them, traditionally, free agency and the NFL draft, or at least over the last couple of years, it's been the biggest part of the year for the New York Jets. But that's why on this show we look back at all the best memories in New York Jets history, including the 13-year career of one of the best players they ever had, Wesley Walker, and we are going to get into part five of that discussion next week. Aren't you pumped up for that, Bart Scott? Can't wait! Bart, how come they don't send you to Florida with Mike Francesa? I feel like they should. You've earned it with all your great football coverage. Plus, if they send you to Florida, maybe they could accidentally forget to send you microphones. And you just get a free vacation out of it, and nobody here has to actually listen to you try to talk intelligently about baseball because we know you're not really capable of it. Sorry, Bart. Love you, but you're not a baseball guy. Before we go, just wanted to remind you about the great job that our producer, Alan Schechter, is doing on the show. Again, the only reason that this series with Wesley Walker is possible is because Alan was able to secure Wesley as a guest and also was a big part of putting together the background research for the interview. He does a fantastic job running EmpireWritesBack.com involving all things New York sports, which is great for me. It's great for you since I'm sure if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you're a big New York sports fan. But it's especially great for people like John because, John, you're out of market and this is your way of keeping current with everything that's going on in the New York sports scene, right? Scotty, that's right. Uh, big fan of the website. And, Alan, uh, I think I'll send you an autographed pair of one of these shoes. Hopefully I don't send it to Adam Schefter's house again by accident. <laughs> Alan, you might want to wear about 12 pairs of socks if you're going to fit your foot into Big John's size shoes. It's not an easy task, I promise you that. That's going to do it for us this week. My name is Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Big John Sparopoulos. And, John, I believe you know there's only one way that we can end this show. Scotty, uh, pleasure as always. 
like Spike Lee said in that Air Jordan commercial all those years ago, it's got to be the shoes. Break, break it down. One, two, three, and the hole.